I've been doing this for many years, uh, a long time. And so I used to call it pastor talk. That's just conversation with a pastor. So um, I just feel questions, answer questions. I try to be as brief as possible, but as uh, succinct and clear as possible as well. So uh, here, first two, uh, these are some very, anyway, the first two, I've got a bunch here. So uh, here's one. If God created people in his image, why do we have people with disabilities or special needs? Because God is perfect. I can think that's the underlying idea, right? Well, the reason for that is the fall of man with the introduction of sin. Sin is the parent of illness, sickness, and, uh, and all kinds of malformations and problems uh, in, the human, in the human body. And uh, with the introduction of sin, you know, the DNA of the human got messed up in all kinds of ways. And then if you go through the scriptures, there are things that people do and things that people get involved in that actually affect not only them, but successive generations. Uh, sin can actually get into the DNA of a human being. So, you know, those are some really challenging thoughts and ideas, but it's nonetheless true that we live in a fallen world. Although God is perfect because of sin, our world is not perfect. And things won't be completely set right until Jesus comes back at his second coming. And our enemy called Satan is defeated. And that, that also means, I'm assuming, that all of the diabolical um, genetic malformations, uh, the DNA structures and all of the things that, uh, that sin has caused, then the bacterium that are invisible but plague human life, all that, will, uh, all that will be done away with. Will that be good news? Until then, we trust God, we believe God, and, uh, and you know, sometimes while you're trusting God and believing God, and, and we're doing all we know to do, sometimes the enemy gets his toehold in. How, do, how does that happen all the time? We don't always know. So if you've got questions about why things have happened to people that you know, you know, why, why do they have disabilities and such, and why do those things happen? Just understand that we live in a fallen world, and we see, uh, we see as in a riddle uh, or, or in a mystery. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul said. So we don't always have all the answers, but we do know uh, the ultimate answer is that God is good, and he's sovereign, and he loves us, and he can help us through everything. And regardless of what life brings us, how many we know we ought to immediately begin to believe for God's best? Every time. Second question I have by text is, what is the difference between, and this is from my Sunday morning sermon, what is the difference between a fleece or a confirmation from the Lord? Well, I mentioned Sunday that Gideon put out a fleece. That is, he said, God, if you want me to do this, then do that. So he was looking for something physical to notate to him the will of God. And uh, so what is the, he said, so this person says, what's the difference between a fleece, that is asking God to do something to show his will, or a confirmation, that is obviously something happens that confirms. Well, well, the big difference is if you're putting out a fleece, you don't know the will of God. And, and what's dictating the will of God is what happens in the natural, in the physical realm. Say, God, if you want me to do this, then you do that. That's called putting out a fleece. The way you hear from God is you pray, you seek God, and you ask him to direct your steps. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding. 
If you acknowledge him in all of the, your ways, he's promised he would direct our paths. Proverbs 3, 5. So, uh, and, and then I'm going to get into great detail on Sunday morning. But, you know, as I, I mean, I, I have it happen all the time. I have something in my heart. I'm saying, God, I want to know what direction to go with this, this. I'm feeling like we should do this. And I just thank you. I just thank you. And, you know, the best thing you can do in receiving direction from the Lord is don't get in a hurry. And I learned that as a young man. Don't get in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. And uh, uh, one of the prophets in the author of Isaiah said, he that believes will not make haste. That means don't have to get in a hurry if God's into something. And I've learned to slow down uh, when it comes to waiting on God and receiving direction. And then as you do that many times, I've had things on my heart. It comes out of somebody else's mouth. I've had things so many times. How many know a husband and wife are one? Many times I'll be praying about something in uh and uh, in fact, this happened a few, eh, a couple of months ago. One particular thing I was praying about, and we were sitting down eating the evening meal one one evening, and uh, and Susan said, "You know, Mitch, uh, you know, I've been thinking about X, Y, Z." I said, "You're kidding? What? What? I've been thinking about we ought to do that. Say that again, because that's exactly the thoughts that I had had, and I knew then it was just confirmation. It was in my heart. I knew I needed to do something." And God just, you know, Susan spoke it out and said, there you go. You know, how many know, uh, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Come on. So husbands, if you think you got a direction from the Lord, shut your mouth and let your wife agree with you. And then if you want to do something and your wife doesn't agree, here's what I do. Wait. Because here's what I do, God. If we're one and you want me to do this, you got to speak to her. You know, Susan, I, you know. I'll do, I, I could go forever. Uh, Susan and I moved to Tulsa in 1980. We left in, basically in 1988, except for a 10-month stint that we were out of the will of God because of mock me. And, uh, but, <clears throat> and so Susan loved living there. We'd never lived anywhere but her hometown, just homebodies from South Carolina. But she loved, and, and God put it on my heart several years before we left Tulsa that we were going to be leaving. <clears throat> and here's what I went for walks and prayed and stuff. Stuff and I said, God, you know, I, I can't do this till you uh, put this on Susan's heart because she she won't have any piece of this, and he knew that, and so I never I never said anything to her. I just kept praying, and it was listen this several years. One day again, we were at home. I think maybe we were having lunch. The kids were small. Jonathan was very young. I think Sarah was Sarah was born. She had to be a little baby, and uh, and Susan said uh, she was a couple of years old. Susan said. Uh, Mitch, I think it's time for us to leave Tulsa. I said, what? Say that again. I think it's time for us to do something else. I said, say it one more time. <laughs> so, you know, God will confirm something he puts in your heart. A lot of guys think, well, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. My wife just going to have to come along with me. You are dumb as dirt if you do that. That's not how to have a wife that, that knows that she is cared for and loved. Is that a good way to say that, ladies? Come on. I got a lot of nods in the house. That's right. Well, Susan was in here. Y'all can tell her I said that, by the way. I'm good. So that helps. So here's another question. Um, does anybody in the room have? I've got, all, I've got lots of questions. I'll, I'll do this one, and then if you've got any questions, I'll ask for hands. And if somebody's got the microphone, y'all can ask. But here's another one that came in. Uh, looks like via email. Uh, and this is about end-time things. I've been teaching on that on, uh, on Wednesday nights. When will the Antichrist require... People to 
This, this says where or have take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell goods. Is it before the, and I've been teaching on Wednesday night, the pre-wrath rapture of the church or after the day of the Lord, which is in the wrath of God comes uh, at the very end of that seven-year period that God showed Daniel that we typically call the tribulation. If it's before the rapture, that is taking this mark, uh, what should we as born-again Christians do in that situation? How will we get income from our jobs and buy groceries? Now, that's a, that's a, would you say that's a legitimate question? Would you be concerned about that? So here it is, um, Revelation 13. Here we are. Let me get to it. Uh, he causes, bo- all, causes all, 13, 16, both small and great, rich and poor. That's everyone, free and slave to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So um, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. So, um, you know, that's a big question. Let me, uh, I want to try to make sure I don't go too long on this. I want to read something from a, really good book I have about the mark of the beast. Um, There are a lot of people, particularly in America, that don't believe we'll be here. People are looking for the imminent rapture. Imminent means at any moment rapture of the church. Again, I've mentioned this for several weeks now. I've seen a lot online. Uh, John Hagee, uh, how many know Dr. David Jeremiah? I highly, I like David Jeremiah, I read his books. I really enjoy his ministry. He's got some great things. In fact, I think he's a better man than me. And uh, John Hagee, I esteem him. He has a huge ministry worldwide. I deeply respect, but I disagree with them with respect to what they preach and teach about end time events. And uh, and uh, but they're just saying what uh, what most people have said uh, over the last hundred years in America about about the um, the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And it's a it's a fairly new doctrine if you look at the whole church age. That is that. That the church will miss the whole seven-year period we call tribulation and that the rapture is imminent, that it could happen at any time, that we will not be here when the, with the manifestation of the Antichrist. The, it's not popular for me to say uh, that we are going to be here, but I've searched the Scriptures enough, and I know the Lord and the Holy Spirit enough to know when he dealt with me about this 10 years ago, it was a big deal to me, and I had to eat crow. That is, I had to go back and... And, and recant 25 years of preaching, and, and it was a huge deal. So I don't say what I say lightly, but I do believe we're going to be here. Time will tell. I do think we're going to see the revelation of the Antichrist having said that. I do think we're going to be here with the introduction of the mark. So when is that? Uh, really, the Bible doesn't specifically say, but the, but the time frame of Revelation 13, somewhere around the middle of that th- seven-year period, three and a half years into it, Antichrist turncoats on Israel, and life gets really, really tough. And um, and he he amalgamates uh, into um, uh, at least a portion of the world, if not all of the world, uh, some systems that are against Christianity and against Judaism, particularly. And uh, and it makes their life very difficult. So um, I do think we're going to see it. Uh, so what do we do to prepare for that? Uh, for me, uh, you know, I've spent my whole life since I was eighteen trusting God. I'm just being real. Um, 
And, I, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to take the mark? No. Am I going to, uh, can I get real? Uh, if somebody says, you've got to take that vaccine. I will, I've never taken a vaccine. Oh, well, I take that back. Uh, I've traveled to other countries. There are certain things to get in certain nations. I've had to take, take vaccinations. And I've had all kinds of shots for all kinds of things. Some I didn't want to because I love those people. I wanted to go to that nation that took the shot. That's the way it is. But if I don't have, I've never taken a flu shot. And I'm not planning to take this one. And if somebody says, and if somebody ever comes along and says, well, you've, uh, if you're going to buy and sell, if you're going to buy groceries and, you know, pay for things, then uh, uh, we need you to put this thing under your skin. I said, I won't be doing that. I, I won't be doing that. You say, well, well how are you going to buy and sell? I said, I won't be doing that. Well, what are you going to do? I just won't be doing that. See, I don't have the answers. But, but see, I know God's big enough that he will prepare me for that time. So, so I'm not going to spend one second of one minute, of one hour, of any day worrying about it. Because Jesus said, take no thought, anxious thought for your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Heathen nations do that, but I've provided for the grass of the field, the birds of the air, and you're more valuable than they are. Yes or no? So here's what I think. When that time comes, God will show us what to do. And, uh, you know, uh, let me just say this, and i got to move on. But uh, years ago, it was really strange, but I kept having this impression. And I think it came out of my mouth by way of prophecy a couple of times. But I, kept, I started saying, if you were here, this is before we moved in this building. I started saying that, you know, the working of miracles at some point is going to kick in. How many know it was working of miracles when Moses was supposed to speak to a rock and water came out? He hid it, couldn't go into the promised land, disobeyed God. Uh, how many know it was a miracle for um, Israel to be in Goshen when the ten plagues hit Egypt? Goshen's a lower section of Egypt, and it didn't touch any of God's people. And they were provided for. How I many know that's a miracle? How many know it's a miracle? Elijah has nothing to eat, and a bird comes with his lunch in his lunch bag in his beak and feeds him. That's a miracle. How many know that, that woman of Seraphath, 1 Kings 17, there was a famine. She had one more, one more morsel of flour, one little bit, and then one little bit of oil to bake it with. And she was going to mix up that flour with the oil, put a little water in it, and then bake it, eat it, and starve to death. And Elijah said, I got another plan. God said, you give me what you've got. And he said, that cruise of oil will never cease, and that flour bin will never be empty. And it happened, and it went on for a long time. If he can do it for then, will he do it now? That Jesus, you know, uh, they're out in the country in the field. There's several thousand, some, some scholars think, I know it's 5,000 men, but if you include women and children, could have been in excess of ten to 15,000 people. A little boy had... Uh, Three loaves and two fishes in his lunch. Somebody said the lunches were big. A little boy toted it. So Jesus took the loaves, fishes, blessed them, and fed thousands of people. It just kept multiplying. Can God do that? Could he say, speak to the ground, and out comes, out comes carrots and potatoes and squash and zucchini and tomato? Could God do that? If he's done it before, I believe he'll do it again. So, so what you going to do if you can't buy? What, what did Peter? They didn't have anything to buy tax to pay their taxes with. And, and Peter and Jesus said, throw your hook out in the water. He caught a fish and there's the money to pay the taxes. 
can God provide? Then don't limit God. Don't worry about it. That's what I say. <laughs> anyway, that's pretty clear. Anybody, anything, anybody got anything? Because I got all these questions. If you don't, I'm going to rattle on. Anybody? Don't be shy. There are no wrong, you know, people don't like to ask questions sometimes because they think, well, that's, you know, people think I'm, no, 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 there are no stupid questions. They're just questions. Your questions are good. So I've got some here that have people have sent in. So here's number one. Now, if you've got one, you need to let me know. Otherwise, I'm going to keep moving here. I'm not going to waste any time. Uh, number one, it seems time is getting short. Here's the first one. Or uh, at least more intense. I'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Therefore, what should we make? Uh, what should we make absolutely sure we accomplish? So the idea, I think the person's asking, okay, time is short. I mean, so, so what makes life valuable? And when I get to the end of life and things happen and, and we're gone, what should I accomplish? So when I think about that, the first thing I think is I need to stay in close fellowship with God. And if I stay in close, close fellowship with him, he's going to let me know what I need to be doing and what comes to my mind. I mentioned it earlier. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord. <clears throat> with all of your heart, don't lean to your own thought patterns, understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So if I'm walking in fellowship with God, there's something I should be doing. How many know he knows how to talk to you? If you're willing to listen. So number one for me, stay in close fellowship with the Lord in prayer and the word. And if there's something I need to be about, he's going to tell me something I need to be doing now. I've got a mandate on my life to preach the gospel. I mean, I've got to do that. Woe be unto me if I preach not the gospel. When I get to heaven, uh, I'm, a, I'm going to be judged by uh, whether or not I obeyed what God asked me to do. So what does God ask you to do? So, you know, there's some things that we do know. He wants us to love others. He wants us to be a witness for Christ every single day. How many believe that? So we know we to fulfill the great commission and then and be a witness. We, we know we should do that. But I've written down here, because this is another thought, as time gets short and you don't have a lot of time, here's what you want to make sure. Every single day, um, if, live it as if it were, I mean, you should be doing this now, your last day on earth. And don't do anything, any day, that you wouldn't want to be caught doing if your heart would stop and you immediately go to meet God. Is that good? Yeah. So, so that, that challenges everything about us in every way. Number two, how do we know what to believe about coronavirus? That's a loaded question there. Experts on every side are giving opposite data, opinions, and advice. So, you know, I've seen what you see. I mean, truth is... Uh, you can go anywhere on the internet and find anything to support any belief system you have about the coronavirus. Is that true? And there are lots of schemes and things and people are saying everything. I have my own opinions. And, uh, you know, I know what God said to me. But again, uh, how do we know what to believe about coronavirus? Uh, and and so, so there's data on both sides, both uh, pros, cons of all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of uh, issues and ideals. So here's what I do. Rego I don't care if it's corona, you know, today it's coronavirus, you know, next year it's going to be something else or something else. I've lived my entire adult life choosing not to focus on what others say. I focus my life on what God says. 
And if I focus my life on what God says, then regardless of what comes down the pike of life, I'm listening to him, not that. I've lived my entire adult life that way. And I would say about the coronavirus, now this is pretty strong. When I know it's on the edge, and I know it could be interpreted as a strong, but listen to this. My response to the coronavirus shows what I'm listening to. Does it or not? So let me just tell you me. You know, I cannot live in fear. I'm just that kind of person. My life was a fear-based life before I made Jesus Lord, just before I was 18. I lived in fear my, almost my whole teenage life until I was almost 18. I was afraid I was going to die. In a, I had two, I had, I had a couple of terrible things happen, and I almost died before I was uh, 16, before I was 17. And, uh, and, and perhaps that was the results of my belief system because I thought I, was gonna, I could die in some weird accident, be maimed, or die of some dreaded disease as a young boy, not ever having grown up. Now, I spent the first, my formative years of those kind of thought patterns. And once I saw that Jesus, when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, and I put my confidence in him that I am crucified with Christ Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And when I found out that God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. How many hear me? When, when those things came to me, I thought, you know what? And, and it was a big challenge day for me to give up the fear of sickness, the fear of debility, uh, the fear of an accident that would maim me or kill me. I mean, that was a big day when I, I made a choice that I'm not going to let the fear rule me. So after I made the choice, the fears kept coming back. And what I did was God said, God said, but God said, but God said, himself took my infirmities and bare my sicknesses with his wounds. I am healed. And, and God said, whatever you ask the father, Jesus said in my name, he will give it you. Fear not, fear not. Hundreds of times in the Bibles, angels said it, Jesus said it, the apostles said it, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So I've refused to live my adult life in fear and I'm not about to stop now. How many hear me? I'm not, I'm not afraid. You say, well, you're foolish. Well, you can call me anything you want. That's okay. I'm not living to you. I'm living to Jesus. So I'm, I'm gonna get to you. But let me just say this, um, I just can't live in fear, and I'm not afraid of getting corona. Well, well, aren't, aren't you being foolish, and, and aren't you being a person that lacks integrity by not listening to the professionals? Who says, who says they're all professionals? Who says that they're right? Science is always learning. They don't know everything. I'm serving the God who knows every stinking thing. And if he said I'm going to be safe if I follow his God, then you know what? I believe I'm going to be safe if I follow his God. But pastor, you being foolish. Well, again, you can say anything you like to about me, and I'm really okay with that because I'm living for him, not you. Or him. You see what I'm saying? See, if you live that way, it just makes a big difference. I've been, I've been to a, a, quite a number of different nations, and I've been in some really nasty, nasty, putrid nasty, stinky, smelly, disease-infested places. And I mean, I went there. Did it challenge my faith? Every second of every minute of every hour of every day 
But I walk my tail right in there and say, God, you wanted me to be here. You protect me. The safest place is the will of God. Right? So I've lived my life that way, y'all. I'm sorry, you might get corona. Well, you know, you can say that. I don't believe I'll ever get coronavirus. And I don't believe I'll ever die from it. You being arrogant and haughty. No, that is my faith from my heart. Huh? If you're afraid, Job had a problem with fear. And the things he feared came upon him. Job 3.25. So that's just the way I choose to live. That's what I think about coronavirus. And I don't judge other people. People believe what they want to. You have to live according to what you believe. I live what I believe. And I've lived this way so long that I'm not going to change for corona or anything else that comes down the pike. Truth be told, (laughs) I win. I'm a winner. If I live, I win. (laughs) If I die, I win. Just win. Okay. But I'm not going anywhere until Jesus is done with me. That's what I think about coronavirus. What you got? Thank you, Pastor. This question came across. Does the Bible say anything that gives us a clearer idea of who exactly the Antichrist will be, or do you have any theories? Theories? Well, yes, I have lots of theories. Yeah. Oh, here's the skin. Let me give you this in a a nutshell. Uh, uh, looking at the time. Okay, so Revelation 17 gives, um, mentions that there are uh, six uh, um, nations. I'm summarizing things in my own words. Uh, Revelation 17, 11, I think it's a verse on 9 through 11, 12. There are uh, six, it mentions six nations that have, that have ruled Israel since its inception as a nation. And that verse is very insightful, those verses in Revelation 17, because it says there are six, and then it says there is one that will be, and then it is not, and then it says the eighth, that is the eighth kingdom or nation that oversaw Israel, has, has ruled Israel, put its clamps on it since it was a nation. The eighth comes from the seventh. So up until the writing, the time of the Bible, I've got a whole list and I don't have time to give it to you. I could read it, but I, I just don't have the time. Um, uh, six nations up until the Bible time. The last one in the Bible time was the, was the Roman Empire. The last vestige of the Roman Empire was the Byzantine Roman Empire. And that was in uh, Istanbul, in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And the Scripture says... Uh, there will be another one. The sixth one was the Roman Empire in Bible days. Then it says there's a, another one that's coming. And then the eighth one is from the seventh. So here's, here's what I believe and what I believe the Bible clearly and distinctly says. There is rising another empire uh, that is going to oversee Israel before Jesus comes back. That comes into existence from an empire that existed in the past. And a hand-in-glove fit for that is the Ottoman Empire. And you've heard me say this before, who in 1453, there was an Ottoman conqueror. He was an Islamic conqueror by the name of Mehmet II. You can do research history, find out this is absolute facts. In 1453, he breached the walls. Uh, the, uh, the Chinese uh, made gunpowder. They figured out how to shoot some cannonballs and stuff. They breached the walls of Istanbul, um, 
of Istanbul and uh, I'm sorry, it was Constantinople, and that was, the, that was the last vestige of the Roman Empire. Breached the walls there, conquered that city, changed the name to Istanbul, Turkey, and, and uh, Ottomans, the uh, Islamists, overcame that. For 500 years, they ruled, and then after World War I, that rulership came to an end as, the, as Britain and such, uh, they, they you know, began to control and determine what was to be done with the Middle East and with the land of Israel. And I've said all that before, but just to say there's an empire rising up out of that. And uh, it's uncanny that the current president of Turkey, which is Recep Erdogan, has called himself the new caliph or ruler of the neo or new Ottoman Empire. And he has, uh, he has great uh, desire to oversee the Middle East the way the Ottoman Empire did prior to World War I. That's all coming into play. And uh, I could say, oh, I've got about an hour's worth of talking I could give you. I'm not saying it's him, but it's somebody in the area of the world. The Antichrist will probably come from the Turkey-Syria areas, ancient Anatolia in Bible times. Um, the people of the prince who will come, Daniel 9, 25-ish, uh, are the ones that destroyed the temple, and they're the ones that the Bible says the Antichrist is coming from, and those are the people groups that live right in that area of the world right now, Turkey, Syria area. The Bible says Antichrist will come, come from that, Ezekiel 38, Meshach, Tubal, uh, and other Gog, Magog. There are several names there. All of that is in that same area of the world. That's where the Antichrist is coming from. He's alive, and... Um, there's a lot going on. Uh, there was a big bombing in Beirut yesterday. There's a lot going on. You got something else? Go ahead. Yeah, um, this came in from online. As parents are having to get more involved in their children's schooling during this season, how should they handle it if they come across lesson plans that may be anti-biblical? First of all, talk to your children. Say, that's in that book, and uh, I don't agree with that. We don't agree with that as Christians. This is a non-Christian book. Uh, and that's a non-Christian slant on that particular theme. I mean, you know, I had to learn evolution when I was in school, and that was way back in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, to pass the test, I had to say number one, number two, number 10, you know. And so I'm smart enough to do that, but I also knew that I didn't agree with what, what, they, what was being taught. I also knew that sometimes the teachers don't agree with what they have to teach from a curriculum. So uh, what would I do? Number one, talk to my child. Number two, Go to the school if necessary, according to how deep it is and what it is and how, uh, how much it is a flagrant violation of your belief system. And say, look, I don't want my child taught this because this vehemently goes against what we're teaching our children at home. And so you got to figure out, I would go from there, and, uh, but I would be in contact with my child every day, every day about that. And then go to PTA meetings and say, look, I disagree with this. And you know, when you do that, you're going to get lambasted. People are going to call you names. People are not nice today. It's an unnice world. And just be willing for people to, you know, give you a spit bath and tell you how horrible you are when you disagree with what everybody else is doing. If you're not willing to do that, you'll probably lose your children. It's terrible. I don't like to say that. You got any more? Anybody got anything else? I, I got, got one. Questions? Oh. I got one. Um, 
I was reading in 2 Samuel 24, uh, talking about David uh, taking a census. And uh, basically, it looks like the Lord instructed uh, instructed David to take a census. And as a result, he technically disobeyed God. And then, you know, 71,000 Israelites died because of it. And then in, I think it's uh, 1 Chronicles 21, it actually says that Satan enticed David to count. So I'm just kind of wondering which one's right. <laughs> is, is it, was it a, an instruction of God or was it a temptation of Satan? So. Was it instruction of God to count Israel? Right. Yeah. To, to do the census. Of course it wasn't, but it different translations. Well, he, well, he knew he shouldn't do it. It's but the bottom did. line. He did right. it anyway. And what he was really doing, if you go read any commentaries on it, you know, he was trusting the arm of the flesh, and he should have been trusting God. And so he was, he was trusting in human might and human ability uh, to overcome battle. And, and the battle is the Lord's and not ours. So it showed a lack of faith. And, and you know, both, both could be, I mean, you know, enemy got in there and, and you know, tempted him to do it, and he yielded to it. So, you know, it's not that God said, well, take a census. No, he knows, he knows he's not supposed to do that. He's supposed to trust God. And, and do in battle what God says, and they were always successful. Trust the arm of the flesh, you're going to fail. So it's a big lesson for us today. We may know what we're supposed to do, but if we choose to do our own thing because it's more comfortable, we're going to get in trouble. And he got in big trouble. Is that okay? Anybody else got anything? Oh. Wait, wait, wait on him. Got to hear you. You know, I always have a question for you. I like questions. All right, so... When I come across a couple books, theologians always kind of agree with this point. Some don't. But in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wise of all which they chose. Mm -hmm. So my thing is, Jesus clearly stated that we're not given unto marriage. When we are heaven, we are like the angelic beings. So in my opinion, this is talking about the ungodly line of Cain and the godly line of Seth. And Mm -hmm. that's... I want to know if you agree with that. No, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, there are Bible scholars that believe that it's the ungodly line whether uh, uh, from Seth, Cain, and all that. Seth is godly, Cain is ungodly, and, um, and then there are others, however, who believe that those are actually fallen angels. And see, you have to go back to Second Peter, and you have to go back to um, uh, Jude, uh, the angels that, that kept not their first estate. They are bound by chains in the underworld, uh, awaiting judgment. Why are they bound with chains? Uh, well, and many Bible scholars believe because they left the estate that they had and they cohabited with women. And there's a whole line of thinking uh, on both sides. I've looked at both of them, and I would err on the side of it was demonic spirits that had sex with women and their offspring in the Old Testament were called Rephidim, Rephalim, Zanzumin, and some really other strange names. And they were, the, the, if you look at the Hebrew for their names and you read the etymology of the Hebrew word, they are people that even Old Testament scholars believe would never have resurrection because they were not like normal people. Goliath of Gath came from that line of people who were, I mean, he was, uh, people differ in his size, somewhere around 10 feet tall. 
and there were some that were even larger than that. And, uh, and the offspring of the um, relations the angels had with women during that time produced giants. In fact, if you read that further and you do a little more study, and I've got to stop, uh, Revelation 6, the reason that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and the reason that Noah's family was saved uh, from the flood by the ark was that their family line was not tainted. Satan, and this is what theologians many believe, and it makes it, you, you can understand if you do the research, and it, I, given the time frame we have, I don't have time to give you all the ins and outs of it, but bottom line is this. Um, it, Satan wanted to corrupt the, the bloodline of humanity so that there would be no redemption. And if you've heard me teach, there uh, many Bible scholars believe in the gap theory, Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2. There's an indefinable period of time. Something happened to the earth. There was a, f- a former civilization here prior to Adam. We don't know what they're called. You find their bones. You find the dinosaurs. You, you find them in the strata of the earth. I used to want to be a geologist. And I read all this stuff when I was a little boy about all the stuff they find. And I could never quantify where did that come from. There's a race of people here. And because the uh, Satan had fallen from heaven, it was tainted. God had to destroy them all with a cataclysmic flood. Genesis 1-2, he recreated the heavens and the earth. And uh, we have a recreation here of what could have been here for tens of thousands or even, I don't know, millions of years. It's really an undefinable time. Some people don't believe carbon-14 is accurate. I don't know whether it is or not. But I just believe it's an end. Nonetheless, Satan tried to do that again with the flood of Noah and uh, Noah's family, he, his sons, and their wives. They were not tainted, their bloodline. For that reason, God saved them so that he could bring salvation to the human race. So he put them in the ark, and that was his. And it's because the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Lastly, when I was counseling at Tulsa, I came across people. And this really made me think. I came across people. Now, this is weird. I'm just going to spit this out and leave it alone. Who would tell me beings came to them at night and tried to have sex with them? I had more than two or three tell me that. And I've got stories. And when I heard that, demon spirits, yeah. I've got lots of stories, and I don't even have time to talk about it. But... uh then as I had been studying all this other, hmm, I wonder if that's the same kind of stuff. I don't know. Uh, but these other beings you mentioned were actually fallen angels, and they left their estate. i got to stop. Go ahead. Hope that helps. Anyway. Hi, Pastor. Yes, hi. Um, when a Christian dies, we know that to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah. But in Thessalonians, it says those who are dead in Christ will rise first Check. to those who will be here that will be caught up together in the air. Check. So, is it just their spirit that goes to be with Jesus when they die and their bodies stay in the grave? That is correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's no such thing as some, uh, who is it? Uh, one, we call them a cult believing soul sleep. They believe that the spirit stays with the body. There, there are cultures that believe, you know, there are cultures that take care of the grave take care of the graves of the deceased because they believe their spirits still hang out there. I got stories. But that's not true. The Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord. And uh, so your, your decomposed body will come back to life and you'll get back in a glorified body. Your spirit goes to heaven. When Jesus comes back, the spirits of the deceased will come from heaven. Their bodies will 
come up from the ground and they'll get back in and go up. So that's kind of cool. What a thought. How many believe that? How about the rest of you? Oh, you believe? Okay. Believe in the resurrection is kind of a cool thing to believe. Yeah, go ahead. Some, got something else? Anybody got anything? Oh, go ahead. Revelation 24, where it talks about... Um, 20 verse 4. 20 verse 4. Yeah, there is no Revelation No, there is no 24. Stops at 22. Thank you. You got me. Um, then I saw the thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the people who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of God's word who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with the Messiah for 1,000 years. So this young lady is asking, does this mean only that martyrs will reign with God and does it mean that angels can reproduce if that first question, how, yeah, however they asked it? No, it doesn't mean angels reproduce. They don't reproduce. The fallen ones tried to do it and got sacked. They're in the underworld. Um, but no, it's not just martyrs. Um, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will have risen. And uh, there's a special place, let me say, in heaven for martyred believers, I believe. And they have a special place because they gave their lives for Christ. What was the exact question? I don't think I so answered that, that, that was a separate question. Sorry, I was just reading it all together. But what they were asking is, does it mean that verse in... Um, Revelation, does it mean only that martyrs will reign with God? No, it doesn't mean that only martyrs will reign. The martyrs will be along with them. You know, again, it's talking about this whole scheme winding up on earth. And and that seven years has happened and the Antichrist has manifest and he's killed a lot of people and beheaded them. And then there's the day of the Lord wrath and there's the trumpet judgments and bowl judgments and then the battle of Armageddon and then Jesus comes back. And all of this is just all finished. And then Revelation chapter 20, he's actually talking about those that reign with Christ for a thousand years included in that will be those who did not take the mark and who kept themselves free and clear of uh, of all of that so it's just emphasizing that based on the rest of the content of the book not just that alone does that make sense does that answer make sense uh, okay good so let me do this I'm, I'm looking at the clock everybody good I, I did want to say this about can I read this thing this is really good about the mark of the beast um Listen to this. Uh, um, this, guy, this. This is a book called Silence in Heaven. And uh, this guy just man, goes through Daniel, goes through the book of Revelation, uh, through the Gospels, everything. talks about end times. And he puts it all together really well. So anyway, I've been reading through this book. I spent this afternoon reading some of this. Uh, anyway, right here, Mark of the Beast, Revelation 13. Listen, I just like what he said. I'm just going to read it and quit and not say make any comment. He said, it's likely that an embedded chip could be a necessary means of identification during the end times. But the mark of the beast will not merely be a tattoo or a barcode or an embedded chip that is received in order to register personal identification. It could be all of the above, but not that alone is what he's trying to say. The mark will be a symbol of allegiance to a subversive ideology. Then he goes on to say, we are reminded that everything the Antichrist does as a counterfeit of God. Revelation 22, 4 says believers of believers, his name will be on their foreheads. Believers will have the name of God on their foreheads. 
Therefore, those who take the mark of the beast will have the mark of their God also. He goes on to say the confession of faith of the Christian is Jesus is Lord. The confession of faith of Islam, which many believe that Islam could be a, and it really seems like a hand-in-glove fulfillment of Bible prophecy and what the Bible says the earth will be like before Jesus comes back. The word Islam means submission. Uh, jihad is holy war against the infidel. The infidel, according to the jihadist, is anybody who does not have faith in Allah. So there's a whole lot to say about all that. The confession of faith of Islam, which is called the Shahadatan, declares the following. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Uh, it is likely in the end times that the one world government will also be the one world religion dominated by the followers of Mohammed. And, and that could clearly be true. It is true then that it's possible that those who are alive during the tribulation could face the ultimate test of one confession or the other. This gives new meaning to Jesus' words in Matthew ten thirty three, which states, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my father who is in heaven. Be prepared to take a strong stand in that day, remembering Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 34, for, for the mouth speaks that which fills the heart. So that was a good word. Anyway, I thought it was. Anyway, let's go to the next question. I'll be quick. Y'all good? Everybody good? You sure? So how do we know? Oh, I'm sorry, number three. What do you personally do to maintain internal peace? Well, I keep peace with God by a strong confession of sin. Peace comes by through salvation. Peace, the peace of God comes with salvation in Christ. The peace of God comes by moment-to-moment -moment obedience to his word and the Holy Spirit's voice. So for me, I, I, I make sure I keep close accounts with God. I confess if I do something I know I'm not supposed to, I confess my sin. Number two, I forgive anybody immediately that harms me. And sometimes that's a struggle just like you. I've got thoughts and feelings. People can be really awful mean sometimes. And I struggle through it and I have to say, God, that person said that, did that, and I'm supposed to forgive them. So by faith, I'm doing the, I'm saying the following. And I make sure I forgive so again, how do I maintain internal peace? I have peace with God by short con by confession of sin rapidly. I forgive. I walk by faith because you lose your peace if you don't know what you're going to do in life. I walk by faith. Anything that bothers me, don't worry about anything, whatever, Philippians 4, 6. Tell God every detail of your need in sincere and thankful pr prayer. That's how I exercise my faith for life in general. Stuff comes up with my kids, my grandkids, you know, Susan and I in all kinds of ways, the church, I mean, every area of life I have to deal with just like you. I commit it all to God. I expect him to help me. And that's how I maintain internal peace. The last thing I would say about this particular subject is the last way I keep internal peace is I don't hold people. I don't have expectations that people will treat me a certain way. If you have expectations that a person should do this or should do that, here's what I know. People expect pastors to be this, 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 this. Churches to be this, this, this. Christians to be this, this, this. And man, they lose their cool all the time. You know what? My goal is to love you. Period. Right? You don't have to qualify for me to love you. I'm supposed to just love you. And see, if you, have, if you keep it like that, just keep internal life. My internal life, I just keep it real simple. And if you keep it real simple, simple every day, you can walk in the peace of God. You got something? Go. 
What are your thoughts on organ donation, donating your body to science? If you want to do that, I'm good with that. I I mean, I reckon at the rapture of the church, you know, a kidney can come from here, an eyeball can come from here, a heart can come from here, lungs can come from, I don't know. I mean, I think it's okay. You know, know, really what I think about is the people in 9-11 whose bodies were pulverized into microscopic invisible molecules. See, if God can bring that together, then he can bring you together. So don't bother with it a whole lot. Help somebody if you want to. I think it's great. Number four, why is it? You got anything else? No. Uh, why is it so important to pray in tongues? Aren't we supposed to be exercising authority over this, all this evil? How, uh, how can we do that if we don't know what we're saying? So uh, you know, we're a spirit-filled church. If you're watching online, I pray in the spirit every day and have since September 12, 1976, a lot of my prayer life is praying in the Spirit, but I do both. I pray in the Spirit, I pray in the understanding. I live as a believer. You live in authority. You are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. End of conversation. And so in that position authority, as you're praying and you're speaking, demon spirits have to bow. There's some things, however, that because of where we're at in the world, close to Jesus coming, I don't care what you do, they're not going to change. God said it's going to happen, and your prayers can't keep it from happening. How many understand that? So some people get their authority all out of balance and all out of whack. and make them, You don't have authority for what the, uh, only, you only have authority with what the Bible says you have authority in. I have authority over the devil, but when it comes to Jesus coming back, there are things that are going to happen, there are patterns that are going to happen, things are going to play out. I've got to be aware of that, and I pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. And if the devil tries to, tries to set up camp in my life, my family, my church, my friends, I say, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. You might be doing that over here. You've got to t- take your ratty self somewhere else. I'm not do- you're not doing that here in Jesus' name. How many hear me? So I don't put up with him. But anyway, pray in the spirit. It's a great thing. I have lots to say about that. Number five, do you have any financial advice for those with sizable investment accounts? Disclaimer, I am not an advisor, a financial advisor. But I do have thoughts. Um, and for years, uh, I think diversity is a wise thing. I mean, you know, if you got lots of, if you got money to deal with, uh, you know, uh, I, this is my personal thoughts. I don't, you can do what you want to with your stuff. For me, you know, have property, uh, have some precious metals. That means gold, silver, uh, and whatever like that. Um, cryptocurrency. I mean, the, the world is going to change the digital, digital currency one day. And uh, whether it's Bitcoin or there are other cryptocurrencies, they call them. The world is going, my, my banker told me that a few weeks ago. The whole They don't know what they're going to do. The whole world is going to go into some form of digital currency. So, you know, you got to have somebody that knows more than you to, to talk about these kinds of things with. So uh, I say diversity is wise. Don't have all your eggs in one basket, the old farmer said. And I think that's wise with finance. Number one, listen to your heart. And here's what God does. If there's something you need to be doing, you keep having this thought that comes up. And if that thought keeps coming up, it may be from the Holy Spirit. If it's about your money, if I were you, I'd listen and go get some help. Number six, do Christian, do you think Christians and Jews will be persecuted in the USA? Question mark. When is the other part of that? Well, when our, the answer is yes. Small, short answer. Yes, yes. I, I don't like to say that. We haven't heretofore. 
because we have a constitution and a bill of rights. However, if something happens and those who we elect choose not to listen to the constitution and not to honor the bill of rights, then those, in, those persons that choose that will lead our nation right into a global ideology with global things. And these global ideas people that people think are so great are absolutely anti-Christian, anti-God, and let me say, anti-Christ. And yes, if that happens, we will be persecuted. I don't have time to develop it. I had something else to read. Anyway, yes, I do think so. And let me also say Christians in America are not ready for persecution. We wimp out if somebody looks at us wrong. Yes or no? So, you know, you need to have a backbone. You need to learn to get a backbone of iron. You got to learn to smile when people, when people say bad things about you. And, you know, with the Internet, you always go have somebody that disses you, that doesn't like you. And you know what? You have to say, God bless you. Let's go, let's go have a bowl of ice cream together. And uh, you just got to be that way or you're going to go drive yourself nuts. How does God want us as believers to respond to aggression and terrorism? Well, number one, practice the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Uh, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. So uh, let me just say this. So, so I am to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy, and, and if I'm persecuted for righteousness sake, Matthew 5, Jesus said, be very glad in that day for great is your reward in heaven. So if you're persecuting me personally, you know, if that's, that's what you like to do and you're obeying the devil, have fun. Uh, and I'm just going to smile and move on. But now that's different when it comes to terrorism and aggression. You can say and do what you want to to me. But if you come and touch my family, I just want you to know. I love Jesus. But I'll do everything I can to keep you off my wife and keep you off my children and grandchildren. Read anything you need to into that. That's how I deal with aggression and terrorism, and I'm not joking. Anyway, that was free. Number eight, I'm almost done. Please share how to maintain a hungry heart for God. That's important, don't you think, having a hunger for God? So here's what I do, seriously. I mean, James 4, 8 says, draw near to God, comma, and he will draw near to you. So my desires follow my attention. If I put my attention on spiritual things, I'll have a desire for God. So, I mean, the short answer is, uh, uh, if you sin, if you keep rubbing yourself against sin constantly, and the friction of sin is coming against your life, you'll lose your heart for God. You show me a believer who has no heart for reading the Bible or praying or coming to church to fellowship with other believers, I'll show you a believer who's hardened him or herself. And they've hardened themselves by what they've chosen not to do. If you don't read your Bible, you'll get hard towards God. If you rarely pray, you'll get hard towards God. And if you entertain sin in all of its varied forms, which is everywhere, all the time, on a constant basis in our culture, you will become hardened inside. So if I ever get hardened towards God, it's a telltale sign I let something in. 
that shouldn't be there. And for me, I've had a pattern for many decades now. I get up in the morning, I seek God, I suck rug, I pray, I get on my knees and pray. I humble myself. I did this morning in my office. I was here at, uh, y'all can look at the timer. I think I was here at 640. And uh, I'm seeking God, I'm reading, I'm praying. And uh, I just seek God. And I do it early. And I do it every day. I don't have a day off seeking God. And, and I just keep my heart right. And I'm, I just refuse. If something catches me and, 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 and tantalizes me to go be like the world, I resist it. And if I sin, I, I repent. Because I want a soft heart. How about you? And you know, that stood me good. I've been walking with Jesus this year, 44 years. And I've never backslid. And I don't want to. If I wanted to, I'd do it. I just don't want to. Right? So anyway, number nine. Uh, why should a Christian, when should a Christian disobey civil government? I don't have time to read it, but Acts chapter 4, the first 21st verses of that. Acts chapter 5, I think that's 17 through 29. Basically, the apostle said, authorities in, uh, the, the church authorities, authorities in Rome said, you shouldn't be spreading that gospel around this city. Stop preaching the gospel. You need to quit that. And they said, whether it's right to you or not, we have to be right in the sight of God. We have to do what's right to God. So whatever we need to do, they locked them up. And then angels led them out of prison and, go, and said, go out in the city and speak to them all of the words of this new life you have. Angels let them out of prison. The government said, you're going to jail because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And the angels let them out of prison. Well, what does that tell you? Sometimes people want you to do things that God says you need to do or don't want you to do things that God says you need to do. And that's where you have the permission from the Lord to defy civil authority. Yes or no? And, you know, we're at a crossroads in our nation. This leads to the last question. So why is it so important to meet together if it's risky physically? Do we have a responsibility? Don't we have a responsibility to be wise? So... You know, Corona started mid-March, so for two and a half months we were shut down. We didn't have services here. I preached online. Um, I knew there'd come a time, however, that in my view, now you may disagree with me, you may be watching and clearly disagree, and I'm okay with that. I have to obey my conscience, and there is great validity for us meeting together Believers need to be together. We need to be focused together. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to fulfill the commission that God has given us. So it came towards the end of May. There were several hundred, I believe there were Southern Baptist pastors. I'm going to tell you what we did, why I'm doing what I'm doing. People wonder, why are you having church? Ain't it dangerous? That's a lot of people's view. Uh, I think we're practicing what people want us to, social distancing, people that need to wear masks can, people that don't want to wear masks. I'm not requiring it here. I uh, expect to use common sense. If you've got symptoms, watch from home because you're going to make everybody else uncomfortable, and that's not love, right? And then some people are going to say, well, you ain't loving if you're not wearing a mask. That is a matter of opinion. That is a matter of opinion. So we're trying to keep this, we're trying to keep the circle big here, keep things free here. However, it came a point here, and again, several hundred pastors, along with, um, with one of the representatives from one of the coastal uh, counties, uh, uh, actually sued our governor and said, you don't have the right to keep us from our first 
Amendment responsibilities. We have freedom of speech and we have freedom of religion. And, and we should be able to practice our religion. And no government, according to our Constitution, can tell us otherwise. And our governor backed up. In fact, they're staying in stage two today. But I looked through all of the verbiage. Not one word said about churches because of that. So we opened Victory Church May 31st because I have a personal conscionable belief that we need to be together. About half of us are here. I'm not condemning anybody that's not here. You got to follow your own conscience. You got to follow your own heart. But here's what I know. If you, if you let these rights, these religious freedom rights go, and you let this go very long, uh, there's nothing that would keep it from happening again. And there's nothing that would... Uh, what's, what, what's it going to take to get us back together? Are we waiting for the state to say it's okay? If the first century Christians had done that, you wouldn't be here. That's a big deal. And I know it brings... Lots of questions and consternation and upsetness. I get all that. But y'all, let me see. I'm going to end with this. I'm long-winded. Everybody okay? I don't even remember the date on this. A couple of months ago, reasons for coming back. I've got six reasons. I could do a video on this. Maybe I should. Maybe a Wednesday night. Six reasons we should be together as believers. Number one, we are urged not to forsake being together. Hebrews 24, 10, 24, and 25, right? Number two, we are like a human body and cannot function as we should without being together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the human body has lots of different organs and the body doesn't work without every organ doing its part, right? Same way with the body of Christ. Question, how can we be the body of Christ if we're never together, how can I function in the designated place if I'm not with the rest of the body? Number three, we all have gifts to be used to help others. It's another way of saying the, the one I just mentioned. These gifts do not work in seclusion. Right? Romans chapter 12, all of us have gifts. All of us got skills and abilities. 1 Corinthians 12. Number four, we sharpen each other when we are together. Iron sharpens iron. How can I sharpen you and how can you sharpen me if I don't see you? Well, we can talk to each other online. Yes, we can. But there's nothing like being eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart with somebody in person. Number five, we create an atmosphere of the presence of God when we are together that has an amazing effect on us. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. When I first came to the Lord, I'm almost done. When I first came to the Lord, I, um, I mean, y'all, I was just a man in the flesh bad. I mean, this is me when I came to Jesus. And man, I'd come to church. I got, you came to Jesus, got filled with the Holy Spirit. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night service. We had Wednesday, Thursday night in our little charismatic church I went to. Big, good-sized charismatic church. So i go Sunday morning. But then that time from Sunday to Thursday, I mean, the devil tried to beat my little, my little undeveloped spiritual brains out. I mean, man, I was fighting the flesh. I'm fighting my emotions and fighting my thoughts and feelings. And my past is trying to come back. And I kept thinking, I can't wait. I can't wait to get back to church. And I was so glad to go in the door just on Thursday night service. There's the praise and worship. There's the presence of God. There's my smiling friends. There's the word being preached. I can feel the Holy Spirit, right? 
Lastly, uh, number six, unity produces a moving of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think you're going to see the moving of the Holy Spirit that God wants until we come back together. So I love you if you're not here yet. I sort of get why you're not. My encouragement is come. We're here. Do what makes you feel free. And you know what? God can do amazing things. How many hear me?